Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Wendy is with us in studio today talking car insurance. We're going to give you a bit of an update on last week's uh, chat about travel insurance for the over 70s. And I hope we'll have space for some of your open line questions as well a bit later in the show. Remember, you can always dial in to share your experience or ask a question on 0214460567 or send us a voice note to 0725671567. Welcome back, Wendy. Thanks, Pippa. Set the scene for us for the car insurance today. Okay, so if you you ask someone who has car insurance and in this country that's sadly only about a third of the motorists on the road if you ask them what their monthly premium is chances are they will be able to give you a pretty accurate figure if you, you know more or less they'll, they, they will know the ballpark figure but how many of us know what our policies specify as the insured amount that will determine what we are paid out if our car is heaven mm-hmm. forbid written off in an accident or stolen it was an email from Gary which sparked this conversation actually because he said I've just experienced a write-off vehicle settlement for retail value it seems the definition of retail value is not any kind of realistic replacement value for same year and model and mileage but a technical referral to a value given by TransUnion who clearly state on such valuation one that you can buy yourself for 10 rand that it should not be used for insurance valuation purposes so he asks how do you insure your Mm. car Um, I wasn't aware of that particular specification I have uh, gone on to TransUnion to check the values of various cars over the years often connected with my work Um, So my understanding of retail value is the average price which a particular year model car has been recently sold, according to TransUnion, who based those figures, the one that the industry insurance included. um, They use real data on financed cars um, being bought and sold, right? So, so of course, it's not going to take into account your specific things. I mean, I have an older car with a very, very low mileage. um, And so it's worth a lot more I think on paper and I had leather seats put in an aftermarket yeah. so to, you know, to me the, if I, the actual value is probably more than what TransUnion is uh, going to tell you so there, there's always these grey areas each case is specific but I thought um, let's actually take a look at this issue because number one I want people to go and look at their policies and, and, uh, and see, what, see yeah. what that figure is and, and work out actually by doing their own homework whether that would is, is sufficient cover because they might not have it might have not have been readjusted for a while and I thought who better that to bring in than um, an old handed insurance not that she's old she's very young um, Christelle Coleman who is CEO of Amishua Um have we got her? We've got yes. her on the line. Christelle, it's lovely to have you on the show again. It's been quite a while since you've been with me. Welcome I back. <laughs> Thank you. So good to be here. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Always a pleasure. Let's start with, with some of those phrases that Wendy's just mentioned and, and get a definition because a lot of people really genuinely don't know the difference between the retail value of a car and the market value of a car. Can you start by explaining? Okay, I am going to try and demystify a very complex topic. Um, and, you know, I think part of the problem is that there isn't an industry standard around how these value, values are interpreted. So each, each insurance company has got a different approach. So my very, very first starting point is if you are with, insured with a specific insurance company or through a broker, you have to ask them 
how it works with that company. But in general, your retail value is a value that is um, taken from the um, from a database uh, through TransUnion, um, and it uh, and it's a value that your car would typically sell for again. Um, and we've seen a move in recent years of insurers insuring cars on a retail value basis. And, and really, what the point of that is to put you back into the position you were before that you can go and buy the same car again if your car yeah. is stolen or written off. So, so that's the best place where you want to be. And um, when they determine the retail value, they look at your mileage on your vehicle, the condition of your car, the age of it. Um, and some, you know, a low mileage vehicle will typically get a better settlement. Um, okay, okay, so that is that. factored in. That's good to know. Oh, yes. So they look at TransUnion and then apply those other factors because the yes, TransUnion figures yeah, won't take into account mileage and condition. And, and those how things. well the looked after the car has been and all yes. those. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but, but, but we get the data from TransUnion. So they have it. Um, um, so, so when we do the settlement, we would then go back and say this car's got low mileage and it's got these extras, okay. and then we get the information from them to get a fair value because it's a reflection of how those, what those cars are selling for in the broader industry. So it's, it's quite fair, I think. Okay. My car's insured on a retail value because I think it's the best way to insure it. Um, but then you also have this market value, um, which uh, is still going around. Some insurers uh, insure cars on a market value basis. Mm-hmm. And and it really is um, the average between the trade-in and the retail yeah. value. Um, and that causes a lot of confusion. It's lower. And, um, you know, and then the, the third um, caveat to consider is the whole concept around the finance arrangements when you have a write-off or a loss on your vehicle. Because then there's other costs that come into play that might not be insured. And that's really when people are left severely out of pocket if they didn't take up the gap cover or top-up cover or, you know, credit um, insurance cover to, to cover that gap if there's a total loss um, in the first period of the finance agreement when you've still got a lot of interest that's due and maybe the loan payments that you have to make. Yeah, um, so geez. don't just go for the cheapest premium because that often means you know, with insurance, is you get what you pay for. Yeah. If you pay the cheap, if you just pick the cheapest pr- um, insurance price without looking at the excesses, the conditions, the driver restrictions, and the basis of total loss settlement, um, you'll find that you're going to be out of pocket perhaps if you've got a yeah, total loss. Yeah. I had a terrible case recently with the KZN floods. A chap who had a fairly minor accident, headlight um, needed replacing, was taken to a panel shop in the Prospecton area, which was very hard hit by the flood. That's where Toyota is based. And, uh, you know, the, that panel shop was uh, completely underwater. Well, the car was right up to the steering wheel. Gosh. And it was a write-off, and he'd only bought the car a year ago. And so he mm. was left with this huge shortfall. He did have cover, and he hasn't got back to me. To, it was quite a significant shortfall. Yeah. And without top-up cover, he would be completely, I mean, Out financially. Out no car. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there was a, a, a case which graphically illustrated to me the need for for top-up insurance, um, for me driving a 15-year-old car, perhaps not necessary at all. <laughs> yes. But, you I must also just add another another consideration. If you are insured with one of the, the high net worth underwriters, and I'm not going to mention names, but there are quite a few products in this market space, mm-hmm. um, you would typically find that these products give you a free benefit um, for the first two years of registration, new for old. So the insurance company would okay. then, in the first two, they just replace the car for you. The same model, mm. um, but a new model. So if you've got a 2020 car that's written off, you, they give you the same model, but a 2022 mod, you know, a, a okay. manufacturer. Uh, so 
That's um, interesting. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. So the premium would obviously reflect that, but many people would. No. No. Most, no. So, so it's, it's also part of the, the offering that we're putting out now as well. It's not that unique. It's just that people don't actually know about mm. it. So it's typically first two years of registration and a 60,000 kilometer limit for the two years. So, and then you would be able to, they just replace the car. They do the deal for you um, and you, they source oh. the car for you and replace it and you just get your new car and you carry on and there's no finance involvement. So to the listeners, oh, right. if you are buying a new car, ask your broker or insurer that if that, that benefit must be included because it's available in the market. There's no excuse not to get it. What should we car. be asking for? Crystal, what is that benefit called? It's, it's new for old for, new for old. two years, um, up to 60,000 kilometers. So they actually replace the vehicle for you, the insurance company. They, they make that whole, whole deal happen. Okay, so new, uh, ask up, up to new two years old. after you, you, the policy inception. No, no, a, a date of registration. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, okay. I see. So you get a, a model that's two years um, newer than you would otherwise without this benefit. Yes, and, and well, if the car you know is stolen or written off two years after, a year in or six months, okay. it's typically a, a, um, a newer model because it's down the line, and, and um, but it's putting you back into the same position you were, but just at a new date. Um, so it's it's really something to look out for, and um, to con- especially if you're going to finance your car, but even not, you know. But but I think it's very important to, uh, and, and then I'm going to throw another spanner in the yep. wheels, um, but it's interesting to talk about these things. So the, the other problem that we often have where we have huge conflict on claims, and I'll use an exact example. It was a 1.6 million rand Land Rover, and it's um, a Umi in the Eastern Cape that <laughs> bought it. Mm-hmm. And, and he had the car for a couple of months, and there was a problem on the car, so he had the car towed into uh, to the repair shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the car was damaged on its way there by the by the towing operator, mm. about 600,000 rands worth of damage, you know, and then we went out, we repaired the vehicle, we re, the, the warranty was reinstated, gave it back to the client, and he said, I, I don't want this car, it's got 600,000 rands worth of damage on it, I want a new car, because my value of my car is now less. Mm. That's a typical consumer response, I have a lot of these yes, kind of cases. Yeah. Yes, and the reality is um, it's a problem that I have with insurance um, is that we say insurance is a policy of reinstatement, but when it comes to partial damage on, um, on, on especially the high-value vehicles, but it could be any vehicle, um, your value reduces because of the car that's been in an accident. So when we pay, we, you know, you can't, if you have to go and trade your vehicle in, you get less. Mm. Yeah, this flooding case is, is, is a case in point. I've had another car, two cars, in, in fact, that um, were damaged, both same model, um, at at this repair shop that was flooded, um, mm. and they want to repair them, and um, saying it's fine and we'll make sure we'll take it to the to the manufacturer and get a whole diagnostic check and check that it's all right and so, and everything will be fine. And they're both saying, but this car had mud. In the engine compartment, the headlights are flooded, fogged. The, it's, mm. You know, it's not going to be the same car. You can't get it back no. to normal. And the insurer is saying, of course we can and we'll make sh- and, and And it's just such a difficult case. Anyway, thank you for that example. Um, oh, but there's insurance for that. It's called uh, trade. It's a product that I actually developed a few years ago and launched. It's called trade in protection. You pay a bit of extra premium because you, your example is a good example. But imagine you've had a car that had some chassis damage to it. So it's actually, you know, you're worried about the safety of the vehicle, even though the manufacturer says they've reinstated the warranty. Um, so that's also something to look out for is um, this reduction in value as a result of the accident on your trade in. 
okay, so that you aren't left um, paying, paying, paying for the well, paying the, the price basically for that yeah. for that damage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Crystal, what about when somebody really disagrees with with what the insurer is telling them about uh, whether it's the uh, the right of payment that's been offered to them, for example, uh, in cases like we've been discussing? What are their options? It's, it's the ombudsman. Um, yep. but, but before they go to the ombudsman, uh, most of the big insurers nowadays have internal ombudsmen. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you ladies would know this, yeah. <laughs> um, that you can approach um, to state your case and, and you know, to prove that uh, you are actually in a worse position. Unfortunately, the policy wordings are quite clear on these issues, so it's difficult um, you know, to prove, uh, to try and make something happen after the fact. So that's why my advice really is, again, if you are going to spend 500,000 rand on a car, do your homework, ask the questions, you know, we your broker or insurer, what if this happens, will I be covered for this, so specifically from a from a total loss perspective, it's, it's really, really important. And then the other thing that people need to be really concerned about or look out for are the excesses, and, and, and just quickly, you know, you get two sorts of excesses. The one is an excess of four, four and a half thousand. It's kind of the market rate for motor excess. But the other excess, which is also very common, is 5% of the damage with a minimum of four and a half thousand. Now, if you've got a 500,000 rand car um, and um, at 5%, that's, that's 25,000 rand Huge, worth of yeah. excess that gets deducted. And so people just look at the four and a half. That percentage is very important. And then, of course, it could be that the, the you know there's an additional excess because it was a young driver. And, and then there we also have a lot of conflicts around misunderstanding. So the excess component often drives the premium. Again, if you take the cheapest, you might end up with mm. quite a high excess. Yeah. Fantastic advice, Christelle. Thank you very much as always. Um, I've certainly made lots of notes, products yeah. to look out for, and questions to ask for future shows and stories. So thank you very much. Christelle Coleman is the CEO at Amishur, and she's mentioned there the internal ombud. But of course, if you don't get joy with the internal ombud, well, you have the option of going to the industry ombud, which, which is, is the um, ombudsman for short-term insurance. It's not the motor industry ombud, it's the short-term because insurance. It's insurance, okay, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. So they really deal, important. and the biggest category of complaints by far is, is, is motor claims. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so you need to Google the, the not the motor industry ombud, but the short-term insurance ombud. Um, before we say goodbye to the car insurance issue, we've got a caller on the line and a WhatsApp. Let's start with the caller. Sharon, thank you so much for holding uh, from Somerset West. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I am going to try and um, describe it to you as best I can. This is my cousin's issue, and I just was listening to the conversation, so I thought I'd best try and get um, her some assistance. They've got a, um, a, a an insurance issue where her insurance company is refusing to pay out um, to have their car fixed. Um, their car just literally didn't switch on one day. It was driving fine the one day, didn't want to start the next day. After, they still have not had their vehicle since the 3rd of January. Um, So after about 45,000 rand worth of different parts that the Nissan dealership has made them purchase, the car is still not working. They had a Nissan assessor come around to see what the problem was, and this Nissan assessor has said that it was due to the fact that the car was in an accident. This is a second-hand vehicle purchased from a Nissan dealership. The Nissan dealership have said, no, it was not in an accident. And now because of this, their insurance company are not wanting to pay out. Gosh. 
So it's such a complicated situation. But at the end of the day, they were sold, apparently sold the vehicle that was in an accident and they were completely unaware of that. So I just feel that somewhere, somebody, uh, and whether it's an ombudsman issue or not, this is what I'm hoping to get um, um, advice on. How do they at least get the value of their vehicle the resale value paid out to them or, or have it fixed at the very least. They can't be without a car and they need to, um, they need to just sort of have some sort of guidance from someone. What would you advise, Wendy? Um, car breaking down is not usually an insurance issue. Insurance is if your car is, is stolen or in an accident. So your normal short-term insurance on your car is not going to cover that scenario. That would have to be covered by a warranty, either a manufacturer's warranty or an aftermarket warranty that you've bought. So when you say insurance, are you talking about a, a, a warranty company that offers a warranty on the car? Um jeez, uh, uh, I wish I could tell you, give you the answer because it is my cousin's car. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, the the, the the second-hand vehicle just stopped working. It okay. was driving one day, and then it just didn't want to switch on. So they had to have it towed to the Nissan dealership, who spent months uh, trying to change different parts. and um, uh, At uh, their at, cost, by the sounds of things. At, at, yes, at my cousin's cost. Okay, yes. None of those parts have actually fixed the problem. Here's the question then, given that it's not an insurance thing and it's a, it's, a, it's a warranty issue. How long after they bought this second-hand vehicle did this car just not starting issue happen? Gosh, I would say at least two years. Okay, so it's not a CPA issue because that only covers the first, first six, six months. months. Yeah. So you're completely at the mercy of the extended warranty uh, on the vehicle. Gosh, um, look, I need more time than we have available to go into this. What I can suggest is that you ask, uh, first-hand accounts are always best. If you could ask your cousin to email me because the issue around the accident, if they were sold, you know, if there's proof of the accident and the accident, um, there is obviously some kind of link between the accident damage and the problem that's now presenting, then there's some grounds to try and get the, the dealership to take responsibility. In other words, not to wash their hands entirely of the issue. The timing of it is not great, though, that it took two years for the problem to emerge. If it was directly as a result of an accident, you'd expect... And, and a it's poor repair, sooner. you'd expect it to happen sooner. So it's not going to be, this is not going to be a quick fix or a fix at all, I'm afraid. But you're welcome to ask your cousin to email me. Okay, so Sharon, they need to send an email to Wendy at, cons- sorry, it's consumer at nola.co.za. C- uh, consumer is the first word at, and then the surname is spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R. And please ask them to put... Um, Cape Talk in the subject line as well as just a word or two, um, Nissan insurance or warranty, something like that to just red flag for Wendy to look out for it. So consumer at nola.co.za. With all the information, please contact details for uh, the dealership as well. Important, the date of purchase, uh, the dates of the various repairs, etc. And uh, we'll see if if we can get some some advice for you from Wendy. Thank you. Um, Okay, another WhatsApp from Anonymous saying, I was once involved in an accident which left my vehicle as a write-off. The accident was not my fault. Luckily, the other guy had insurance that paid out. The problem was that their insurance paid out the retail value of my car minus 35% because Mm. they said I would get that when I sold the damaged vehicle. The question is why don't insurers collect the scrap and pay the full amount? Is that an option? 
No, they don't do that. And the problem there is that he's a third party. Um, so the the insurer has no obligation to him at all. Yeah. They have an obligation to protect their client from him coming after them um, in a civil claim for for damages. Yeah. So that's the worst case scenario um, if you aren't insured and you're relying on the, uh, third party insurance of the person that you ran into or that ran into you. Um, I thought he w- normally what that that um, deduction is for is um, this case law around this. They call it failure to keep a, a proper lookout. So yeah. um, unless you weren't actually in the car or you were stationary, um, they will always say even if somebody ran a red light, they will say you 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 could have seen him and and avoided the and avoided accident. the accident yeah. or or whatever. So that's what that thirty percent is about. And there's not a lot or anything you can do about it. You can't go to the ombudsman because you aren't the client. I, I had once somebody try that, an insurer try that on me, but my car was parked in a parking lot. Yes, somebody see, reversed into I've me and I was able to say, keep a proper lookout from inside the building 500 metres away, really. Yeah, you've and I did fight me, it. Yeah. You've reminded me of a case of a delivery vehicle that did that to yes. someone's. And, and I've taken it up and I don't know what's happening. The media responses, well, it's take a lot. I'm putting it out there. I'm going to chase them up. Haven't come back to me in weeks and weeks and weeks. That's an interesting one because I'm saying, and then the, the third party insurer, the Mm. delivery companies or online retailers came back and said um, something like um, I forget now sorry but it, it, it was something that really couldn't be proved that yeah. somehow it was his fault um, I remember this case oh, the person yes. was literally parked on the side of no, the road it in was, a parking um, oh his brakes failed that's the right, the drivers, and there, yeah. there was nothing. And I said, well, could we have some proof of that, please? Is there a report, a, a repair, a brake replay? Um, and I just haven't heard. So these mm, third-party things, suspicious. I mean, just really, really, if you if you can, if you can cut your costs somewhere else and get insurance, the, the, the potential for these non, you know, third-party or no-insurance situations to wreck you financially is just it's massive. huge. Somebody's asking, is there any kind of template for car insurance of what insurers should be offering you as a baseline so that consumers know what to ask for? I suggest going on to the um, Ombuds for Short-Term Insurance's website. There's some interesting um, advice there to be found. Um, There's also the... um, um, What's it, the South African Insurance, IEA, South African Insurance Association, okay. that if you look under the publications and that sort of thing, there's a lot of very handy information to be found. Or I found if you just Google the issue, um, you will see, and my little trick is you put the word said afterwards, and then there's, if there's a report around it, you will find the, the, the um, report that was published or whatever. Um, you will, nine times out of ten, find the answer from an industry expert that you were okay. looking for. Thanks for the advice, Wendy. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now on 021-446-0567. Quick open line call from Ralph, who's given us a ring from Gordon's Bay. Good afternoon, Ralph. Good afternoon, ladies. Uh, I've got a question about what happened to my wife uh, during March when the airplanes were having their issues and stuff. Yeah. Yes. She she went for a funeral to PE, and from there she was going on to stay another 10 days for vacation. And uh, 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 when they got to PE, her luggage was stolen. Stolen uh, from, from, was this from a uh, from a particular airliner, Ralph? Or, or? Uh, 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 off an Intercape bus. Off an Intercape bus. Uh, okay. Her luggage had been the, stolen. Okay. She went through the, the process of, of do the affidavit process and whatever they told her to do and the declaration of whatever was on there, whatever was in the bag. They said they'll give three to five days. They'll phone everybody that was on the bus 
in case somebody took it by accident. They came back a week later and says, no luck. Uh, my wife said, so what are you going to do about it? They said, well, ma'am, we can offer you two and a half thousand and take it or leave it. She yeah. said, but I went through this process. I had new stuff on here. My luggage was worth uh, 12K or more. And you want to settle for two and a half thousand rand. Uh, and my wife just left it there. Okay. You, this is a difficult one. We've often discussed this issue With on the show. And it needs, yeah. But then there needs to be some level of negligence. So in this case, if a fellow um, passenger just decided to help themselves to to the luggage um, out of the, the the cargo area of the bus. Um, is it, I mean, do, do, are they required to show, you know, to, to, to insist on some kind of proof before anyone takes their luggage that it really is their luggage? I mean, that it's not a really workable situation. Um, the, the requirement would be that they did everything they could to, to find the luggage, but um, you would probably find in the terms and conditions of carriage that... Um, you know, if the, if, the, if the if the cargo was 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 leaking and all the luggage got water damaged and the clothes were ruined, kind of thing, then I'd say yes, they're totally responsible for that. But in this sort of case, if a fellow passenger steals the luggage, um, the only thing that would help you would be if you had you could claim on your own insurance policy if you had a, a an out and about if you had some cover. Um, I always say before you travel. If you're going to commit your luggage, it's going to, if it's go, going to go out of your hands, take a photograph of the content so you can prove what was in there. Um, it sounds laborious, but it, it's, it's really useful if you need to claim. If you didn't have um, your own insurance policy on that, um, I can't see a way that we could force them to pay anything more than that two and a half as, as disappointing and frustrating as that as is. It is. And doesn't seem fair at all. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. Unless uh, you can prove that they there was walked negligence. away and left the, the side of the bus standing open for anybody to help Something themselves like for an hour. Something like that, yes. Okay. Ralph, you don't, I, I'm assuming, don't really know the circumstances under which it was stolen. Did she simply get to the other end and find her bag wasn't there? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, something like that, yes. Yeah. I've had a few complaints like this and it's very it's heartbreaking. difficult. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, I could have a go. It sounds like it's about two years old now, this case. Have you, are you still in contact with the company or are you telling me something that sort of wrapped up a couple of years ago? No, no. It, uh, uh, it happened in March. With, with airlines, uh, oh, this, this March. March. Yes. Sorry, sorry. I don't know why I thought um, uh, I heard Lockdown. COVID and okay. I thought 2020. Oh, in that case, if you, I mean, I sometimes have had some success in getting them such companies to up the offer. I mean, there's a, like a, in yeah. this case, she's being offered, you know, a very small percentage of the actual loss. It would, would help if there were some proof of what was in the bag, as I say. But yeah. look, it's worth a shot. I'm willing to send an email and, and uh, see, see what happens. See if you get that amount up. Okay, so Ralph, you too, please need to send an email to Wendy on consumer at nola.co.za, spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R. She knows a lot about consumer affairs. Consumer at nola.co.za. Please put Cape Talk in the in the subject line as well as Intercape Theft, and uh, Wendy can give it a bash and see if, at the very least, you can get that amount off, uh, increased from the 2,500 rand that's currently on the table. If there was more than one bag stolen, then that would increase the chances, I would say, of them okay. taking responsibility. It ha- it does happen. It's happened to me actually. We my husband had a, a we were waiting at the airport for our luggage to come off the carousel and watched a, a suitcase go by that looked very much like his for about half an hour before it dawned on us that, oh, that the owner of that suitcase had taken ours and left theirs behind. 
On purpose or by accident? No, it was an accident. It was an accident. So these things do occasionally happen accidentally. Um, So they were right to say, let us first phone the other passengers in case that is what had happened. Uh, But no such luck. Okay, Ralph, look forward uh, to your email. Wendy, before we're out of time, you wanted to update us on that question that was raised last week around insurance for the over-70s. Yes, remember... um we raised this issue. Bruna had um, been outraged to discover that the free travel, travel insurance she'd always got when she paid for her overseas trips with her ABSA credit card no longer applied because she'd reached the age of 74. Um, and then uh, Shirley, who's 87, she had the same situation with her standard bank credit card. Um, and she's uh, discovered that after the age of 84, um, she no longer qualified for that free insurance and to pay for it was going to cost her 300 rand a day and it yeah. was only available to her at her age for one month so that was a total cost of 9,000 rand. <clears throat> so sort of the conversation was around, you know, what was available, old insurance, tra- old mutual, sorry, travel sure only up to the age of 80 and I'd heard that Discovery actually insures people up to the age of 100 but I hadn't got the response from them with about the detail of that, which I now have. Okay. And that is that, it, in short, it's pretty much that it, it applies if you are um, paying with your stand, your Discovery Bank gold or platinum uh, card. Okay. Okay, so it's quite limited and it is free in those circumstances. Um, and then, I said, yes, and up to 100 under certain circumstances. Customers who use Discovery Miles to pay the full cost of any portion of the cost of international travel will also qualify for free travel insurance. So the answer is yes, but you can't just go and buy it. Um, if you're, say, 90 and want to travel, you have to be a Discovery Bank client. And one of on those certain, particular and level of, of, ones, of cardholder. And then okay. they will cover you. So the, the moral of the story is... You know, if you are getting, if you're in your early 70s and you still intend to travel, make inquiries. It might be worth your while to actually switch banks. If you think what it's costing the one uh, caller who's 87, um, although no, I don't think there's any, you don't get any free insurance um, over that age. But I mean, for those that stop it at 80, for example, there'll be others that will still give it to you up to the age of 85. And it's worth a lot of money if you still intend to travel. So do your homework, find out. Yeah, even um, if it means taking out a second card. Exactly, or a second card that you you never use it for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, good to know. Lots of money to be saved there. Thank you. Um, right, um, quick one from Dale on the WhatsApp. He says, I'm battling with telecom accounts. <laughs> you, yeah. you and many others, Dale. Can Wendy please advise if there is an ombudsman and if so, how we contact them? Is there an ombudsman that covers that industry? Um, there, well, it depends on the nature of the, of the um, complaint. If it's about an account then it would be the Consumer Goods and Services Ombuds. If it's about um, some kind of um, telecoms offering, um, then that ICASA would regulate, then it would be ICASA, um, Independent Communications Authority. Authority, yeah. Okay, so the Consumer Goods and Service Ombud is the one, uh, because you've referenced the word at Telcom Accounts in that message, and they are cgso.org.za. Dale, CGSO. Dot org dot za for consumer goods and services on that. And That'll please be your copy starting me point. if it's something I feel I can take up with my contact at Telcom. I'll do so. He's pretty efficient. Okay, thank you for that. So if you're doing it twice. All right, quick, quick uh, then f- uh, lesson to be learned from the unfortunate experience of one of our listeners, although I think did, things did work out well in the Which end. Which was very surprising. Yeah, this is beware the free seven-day trial, yes. Wendy. so her son learned this. Um, he signed up. Um, my advice is never sign up for a free trial when you have to give your 
um, account details, whether it's a gym, which I get often, yeah. or one of these um, um, online offerings for trading software, or whatever the case may be. Her son did that. He didn't cancel within the required time, and then his year subscription kicked in. And with the exchange rate, this was an American-based company, it was 3,000 rand, Ouch. so a lot. And um, I mean, he was 18, so it was his mom's money. Um, but... Um, I just went back and said, there isn't a lot I can do. It's an expensive lesson. And um, happily, she decided to have a go anyway. And um, she um, got an answer saying, um, oh, yes, okay. And it was a very compelling email, I must say. She she sent a copy of it to me. And um, they've they've cancelled it. That's she's um, very lucky because of the terms and conditions yeah. on their website said this is why I said look I'm sorry there's no I said no no refunds. Okay. Um, so she's getting that that the initial, that um, debit is being um, refunded and um, he's learned a lesson and um, yeah but I would say that's a very unusual outcome of one of these things the yeah. free trial where you cause, because as long as they disclose on the terms and conditions upfront before you pay that you have to cancel, cancel. before a certain date um, otherwise the subscription will come into force um, as long as they can disclose that you haven't really got a leg to stand on so be very very careful if you're signing up for them and if you are going to risk it make sure you set an alarm on your cell phone or something like that exactly. or a, a notice in, in your, your diary, diary yeah. to remember to cancel it um, within the time frame otherwise you could be signing up for a very expensive full year's contract uh, Karen I'm sorry that your son had the rather nerve rattling experience he did but lesson learned by him by you and, and by well the rest done, of our mom. audience well done mum for <laughs> Fighting it, absolutely. Wendy, always great to have you with us. We'll Thanks, chat again Pippa. next week. Will do.